You're listening to The Basics of Evangelism, a Sunday school series taught by Jeff Mardling at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. So just in way of uh, beginning today, that's a little bit loud. I just wanted to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness of without which no one will see the Lord. And I think especially with this topic and when we get into conversations with family and friends and then particularly strangers, our, uh, sometimes our tendency is to really be um, we've got to be careful not to have our flesh take over <laughs> and want to be right about everything, but we want to convey everything in truth and with love. So just in way of review, we were talking about man, mankind, and uh, his sin nature, and now we want to slip into the, just finish this part of our study uh, this morning, and hopefully we'll be able to go into the topic of Jesus Christ um, before we end today. So the topic of man and evangelism, sin is rampant. It does not take long to see that this world is messed up and wicked And wickedness is rampant. Just read the newspapers. There's accidents. There's foul play. There's diseases. Something is not right. This goes far beyond just man here, but does show that the sin principle resides presently in the world. We all should have a good biblical doctrine on sin. We Christians have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God keeps us from doing the things we want to do, Romans 7.15. That is the desires of the flesh. Can you imagine what the world would be like if there was no church? This is part of God's grace in the world. Christians, little Jesuses, followers. How do you feel to know that you deserve hell? Does that bother you? Do you get a little angry when I say something like that? Is your pride hurt? It is true. If we don't understand that we deserve hell, we will have a distorted view of God and his grace. Let me say that again. If we don't understand that we deserve hell, we'll have a distorted view of God and his grace. Knowing the sinfulness of man means understanding the weight of sin and its deceptiveness in the unbeliever. They hate God and they need his grace. Think of a man born colorblind will never grasp colors. He will think you are crazy and that he is sane. If you could make them see, they would have an understanding that everything was distorted before and that they were so very wrong. How grateful and thankful would they be? The grace of God is upon someone who hears the gospel and their eyes have their eyes opened. They see true color for the first time. Really makes sense. Knowing the sinfulness of man means we can give grace to the unbeliever if they reject us and the message of the gospel. So this is a hard one. This is what we fear. 
rejection, belittling, being yelled at or attacked. When you evangelize, you will have trials at times. People do not always respond kindly. I've come across that several times when I'm witnessing on the streets or for certain when you stand up in the open air and you proclaim the gospel. Most of the world we live in will tell you, oh, I'm not interested, or get lost. I've even had someone uh, curse really bad at me, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Remember, if they are dead, you cannot make them alive, okay? You cannot make them listen. You cannot make them believe. It may be that God has, pre has not prepared them yet to hear this message. Simply move on. Learn to be humble in this and pray for that person. However, this is not the only response. If God is stirring in them, they may say thank you. They may want to know more. They may want to open God's word with you. I've opened air preached outside of uh, a hockey arena in London several times, and there's always a large crowd. The Knights sell out about 9,000 fans each game. And when they pour out, and sometimes you have the opportunity to engage with someone. You want to make sure, too, if you're called to do this, that you want to always end with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you have that interaction, you'll be surprised how many times when you're finished and you step down, those people will come over and, and engage in conversation. They may even shake your hand. It's truly a work of God. We know people hate God in the natural state. We do not know what God is doing in the person's life at that moment. We do not know if he's using this moment to plant the seed, what the seed is, or to produce fruit. The world will tell you that you cannot talk to people about this. Satan and the de demonic will fill your head with all sorts of what-ifs so that you do not open your mouth. And I just... I just uh, plead with you as brothers and sisters in Christ, when you feel or sense the Holy Spirit wanting you to engage in a conversation or passing a gospel track or go out on a Friday night or Saturday afternoon to retrofest, or that you'd be humble and you would, you would uh, you'd do it. You'd be obedient and faithful to that. That's the Lord stirring in you. I find each time if I remember that we are preaching or we're witnessing or we're sharing to an audience of one, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it really does take a lot of the pressure off. I may not believe in all of his theology, but Mark Cahill says in his book, one thing you cannot do in heaven. <laughs> Let me just pause there. I love that title. One thing we cannot do in heaven is evangelize. <laughs> Amen. But telling others about Jesus is a win-win-win situation. If they receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, hallelujah, we praise the Lord. If you give them something they are going to seriously think about, that's a win. Right? And I'll quite often say, don't think of some guy on a, on a sidewalk with a ball cap. I want you to go home and think about Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this message. Even if they reject it, even if they're foul, that's a win. 
because the Bible says you are blessed. See Luke 6, 22 and 23, because they rejected Jesus too. And I really like this quote from George Whitfield. I was honored today with having a few stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and pieces of dead cat thrown at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, amen. Thanks. I said after uh, session one, maybe try to go and commit the Ten Commandments to your to heart, to memory. Taking someone through the Ten Commandments can demonstrate the sinfulness of man. Using the law is one way to reveal this. Think of it as a mirror. If you're looking into God's law, the Mosaic law, it's revealing the holiness of God and where we stand. It's important to note that, um, oh, forgive me. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. That, uh, I guess my point there is I, I don't want you to ever uh, be nervous uh, to bring them to uh, their sinfulness using God's law. How many times have you sinned? How many times have you lied? How many times have you stolen? That makes you a lying thief in God's eyes. To look upon someone with lust, that's adultery of the heart. To hate your brother, God says that's murder of the heart. You're a murderer. Do you covet things? Have you kept... Um, have you made idols that you worship instead of the one true living God? Have you kept God first today? By being a murderer or an adulterer at heart or a lying thief, you certainly dishonored your parents and the name they've given you. The Bible says to break one of the Ten Commandments, we've broken them all. It's really true. We're in desperate need of a Savior. Okay, next one. Things to remember when talking with uh, people. And again, this is a nice review. Don't believe the lie of atheism or agnosticism. We need to be gracious with this, okay? And again, this is why I started the way I do. It's so easy for us to fall into an argument or a debate. That's not what we're there for. That's not what God has ordained in that moment. We need to be gracious. Paul in Acts 17 did not come down to the Greeks and say, well, this unknown God, you really know who he is. Everyone knows the real God, and you're just suppressing the truth. He didn't do that. It is true, but it's like saying, you need to be chosen to be saved. Paul did not go around telling people that he witnessed to. He shared the gospel and he pleaded for people to respond to it. There is no neutrality. Let me explain this. The unbeliever will say that he is objective with the facts, the evidence. And he'll want you to set aside your belief and come to it objectively. Please remember, you have the truth. They have error. 
do not consider or compromise on the truth of the gospel. We do not have to know all the things to know some things. We are a mouthpiece for God. Be faithful to him. We proclaim his gospel. Please remember that. Remember the gospel is either a fragrance of life to some or a fragrance of death to some. Take rest in knowing that you do not save people. Some will respond and some will not. We want to be Christ-like in our conduct when we share the gospel. And this can be difficult. But remember, um, 2 Timothy uh, 24 and 26. Sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24-26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. That's hard. That's hard to do each and every day. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. It's so beautiful how the Bible <laughs> phrases all of this. Take time to listen. This is where I have such a, such a problem with some of the evangelisms that you'll see on the internet. They're that are all over, especially in the States and parts of Canada, where they just want to browbeat with condemnation and sin and call people names and I've witnessed this firsthand um, there was a couple of gentlemen in London Ontario that and they still may be around uh, Steve and Matthew I don't know their last names I know they are deeply um, indoctrinated by cultish um, teachings from the 50s and 60s, where they are just bent on condemning women of this culture. What they wear and what they call them are horrible names, and you'd know them. Um, I've got to know them. I've got to witness to them. But uh, like a lot of other worldviews, when they're indoctrinated and cultish, uh, they are just, it's, it's like a stone, stone wall. But we don't want, and it's, and it's easy to get upset with them. And it's like, get off the streets. Go home. Don't say anything. You're bringing a reproach upon Christ. There's one thing. How much grace, love, humility, and Jesus are they preaching? And you'll hear it. Just listen to them for a short while. So we don't want to be quarrelsome, and we want to... Uh, preach with gen. We want to be bold as lions, but innocent as doves. Remember, they're not your enemy. We're trying to win souls. They will be judged, as we all will be on that day. Death is the great equalizer. I've used that quite often. I'll say, whatever you are dogmatic about, and whatever I am, the truth is, and again, I think there's, God has a sense of humor that I'm a funeral director. But death all brings us to the same place that we've never experienced before. But the Bible says that we will stand and be judged for every thought, word, and deed. 
Oh, do I plead the blood of Christ and his grace. I need it, even this morning. No matter what they believe, they're not your enemy. Do not zero in on their belief system as soon as you hear it and try to tear it to shreds. <laughs> Listen to them. Listen to what they believe. It does not mean that you, do, you have to believe it or support it. It means you care about this person. They are not a number that you can say, I shared with X number of people. Chris wrote here, he remembered talking to a guy once and then several months later, he saw him at Springbank Park and he said, hey, Stuart, and the guy was floored. It's unbelievable how many, um, usually, usually the, the witnessing encounters you think just were terrible. God will keep that stirring in your mind and in your heart. And I think the number one reason, so that you can pray about, amen, Carolyn, yeah, you can pray for those people. You might forget their names, but you might remember the setting, where you were standing, the type of weather it was. And uh, yeah, those are, those are all things to, be, uh, to praise him for. James 1 verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Number five, we keep saying this. Many of the people I've shared with, most people will see themselves as good. And you know that. If they think they are good, then they do not think they need forgiveness. I'm having a great life. Money in the bank. Great wife, car, job. Loving it. Just wish those Blue Jays could win. <laughs> Fine, I promised I wouldn't bring that up. <laughs> and it will become more apparent when we... Uh, we delve into the details of sharing the gospel uh, with people, but just how to diffuse that and, and bring them to what they need to see. Bring them to the cross. And of course, pray, pray, pray. We have this last, lastly on the list, but it should be first, it should be second, third, fourth, all the way through. There's a term, dead man walking. It means a condemned man walking from his prison cell to a place of execution. In some ways, you are sharing with dead man walking. We need to pray for divine pardon that comes through only the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood. Man must see how holy and good God is. The desire is for them to get a new perspective on the holiness of God. Man must see how good they are not. The desire is for them to see who they are in the eyes of God. So just concluding this section. The man of the world thinks highly of himself. As we have seen, the world thinks they are good. As man hardens their heart to God, God gives man over to their depravity. Romans 1, 18 to 23, or 32. Man justifies themselves by saying we are good, but man cannot run from their heart. As we saw last week in the Basari tribe, they even knew God existed and that they were controlled by the devil. 
and that they would stand before God someday in judgment. Remember, Scripture is our ultimate authority. It says we are born in sin from Adam. Our lives confirm the truthfulness of Scripture. Man is not good. No one seeks after God. No one does good. Man is dead in their trespasses and sins. Because they are dead, they cannot become alive. This spiritual deadness should drive us to an intense thankfulness to God for our salvation and a grace towards others. I keep thinking of that illustration of the great divide or the chasm where God and his holiness is over here and man and sinfulness in the world is over here. And the cross bridges one to the other side. I know we've all seen it. May I also say, if I was to share a gift with you this morning, when does it become yours? That's right. When you receive it. I can't force it upon you and it be a gift. I can't berate you with it and it be a gift. But if you take it, it's yours. And that's what we're doing with the gospel. We're presenting God's holiness, our need for a savior, Christ's righteousness and his humbleness, even to point of death on a cross, his shed blood for the remissions of sin, his beautiful resurrection to power and new life that we can worship a holy, living God, not something fashioned in our minds or made of stone or wood. Ooh, I'm just getting excited. <laughs> And we pray that they would receive this good news and it would change their life completely as a lot of you in this room can testify. Amen. Okay. So I'll let uh, Trevor flip that around. We're starting about the Lord Jesus Christ. I brought a couple of uh, things just to share, pass around. This is called the Mission Ball. It was a ministry out of California, I believe, themissionball.org. And they produced thousands of soccer balls. Number one sport around the world. Football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I'll pass it around. You can read it, look at it anyways. Um, but just a, just a neat tool to be passed out to different cultures, different playgrounds, different churches, different ministries, uh, and uh, you never know. The gospel's printed all over it, who God is, the gospel message, who Christ is, sort of neat. You want to look at that? Just throw it. There you go. <laughs> um, some of the other things I carry in my uh, backpack, dear brothers in Christ have put together some uh, bookmarks, and they... What they've taken is every single, not every single, but a, a lot of the main worldviews, such as Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, cultural Christians, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, atheists, as we were talking about, followers of Eastern philosophies, 
Judaism, and they've taken some of the main argument points from those, world, from those worldviews, put all the footnotes from their texts or Bible or magazines, and uh, just refuted them uh, with Scripture, and then points always to the gospel of Jesus Christ on the back. It's really a good study idea just to keep, um, you know, you never know who you're going to meet on a particular day and uh, want a little bit of background without reams and reams of books. That's what I like about them. Okay, the topic of the God-man. Let me just get mine now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, maybe half a dozen packets, so. Mm -hmm. All right. Paul Washer said, The Lord requires a sacrifice for sin if sinners are to be saved. To see the need for Christ's death, therefore, we must know more about the character of this triune God. Very important. The God in the God-man, the man in the God-man, his life, death, resurrection, and his return. What then is the gospel and gospel and evangelism? We'll do a bit this morning and then finish this section off next week, and we're in good shape. The God in God-man. First, does Scripture claim Jesus is God? Well, yes, of course it does. Before we make an argument for the importance that Jesus is God, does he ever make that claim? What is the importance of Jesus being God? Why could he not just be a good man? Firstly, an Old Testament verse showing that God had planned to come. Isaiah 9, 6. For, us, uh, for to us a child is born... To us, a son is given. Notice here in Isaiah, a child is born, but a son is given. A child is born refers to his humanity. A son is not born, but given. An eternally existing son was given. Right there in one little sentence. Is there more? For sure. There are many verses that speak of the divinity of Christ. Next one, uh, brother. Titus 2.13, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grammatically, both of these nouns, God and Savior, modify Christ. There is a grammatical rule in New Testament Greek. Pastor Rick and Pastor Dan may know this. <laughs> I'm just learning a little bit called the TSKS construction. <laughs> Let me see if I can convey this. Article the, substantive noun, uh, K-I-A, substantive noun. So that's the Greek, the and chi. It always refers to the same person, always. I didn't know that. I think that's interesting. Colossians 2.9, fullness of deity. This is the hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's indivisible. John 8, 58, 
I am. This is called the ego imi in Greek, which is Yahweh in Hebrew. I am who I am. I am being who I am being, when you translate that. Hebrews 1, verse 8. Here the Father is speaking to the Son and calls him, O God. Fascinating study if you go through your Bible and highlight where Jesus is God. What did the Jewish people think? Just to put some icing on the cake here, could everyone misunderstood what is being said in these scriptures that are up here? It was very clear to the Jewish people, especially to the Jewish boys and men that studied the Torah, who knew the Old Testament, that Jesus was implying because they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. They knew exactly what he was trying to say. He is the great I am. If you read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Even up to this day, this very day in 2022, the, the Jewish faith would know what I'm talking about when I say I am. Why is this significant? It is significant that Jesus is God so that no man can boast. Only God can save men. You don't ever want to be in a position where I saved myself. I made a way. God gets all the credit for being our Savior. God deserves all our praise and worship. You may find some people say, well, doesn't this make God egotistical? By no means. God is the only one who actually deserves this. If you give your kids or your wife a gift, you want them to cherish and love you more than the gift. <laughs> the greater the gift, the more the one shows, uh, the one show, well, that's wrong. I shouldn't read it that way. The greater the gift, it just shows the more affection to the one that's giving it. God gives um, that which he cannot give any greater. Okay? He gives himself. Let's talk about the man in God-man. Where does it say God will become a man? We looked at Isaiah 9, Matthew 1, 23. 
God has said he would step into his creation. This is why the virgin birth is so important. It demonstrates the humanity and divinity of Christ. It is always too important to state that God became flesh. Jesus was not merely a man. I'll find myself a lot referring to uh, Jesus fully God, fully man. Reiterating that. Can man save himself? Can the law save? Before we look, uh, can look at the significance of God being a man, we need to look one more time at man. We need to go back to the last class and start with the sinfulness, man, uh, the sinfulness of man as our foundation. So can man save himself? No, he's a sinner. He's a hater of God. But there is a way for man to save himself. Sorry, I'm reading that wrong. Is there a way for man to save himself? Can he do it by the law? No. Can he do it by animal sacrifice? You can click on those, uh, Trev. An animal is without sin, but not like a sacrifice. A man is like sacrifice, but not without sin. Again, I said earlier, the Mosaic Law was entirely built to draw attention to man's sinfulness. So why is this significant? Flip to the next one. In the Old Testament law, they had numerous offerings. Guilt, sin, grain, peace, burnt offerings. We won't get into each of these, but they all had meaning and all find their fulfillment in Christ. One of these, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, uh, they had once a year, the high priest would take two goats. One he would sacrifice and sprinkle its blood on the mercy seat. And the other he would send out into the wilderness. Does anybody know what that was called? Yeah, the scapegoat. The first made atonement for the people, Leviticus 16. The latter, he will confess and confer upon the goat and send it into the wilderness to bear the iniquities of the people. Now, we just read that the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin. An animal was sinless. It was to be without defect, but it was sinless. Man was responsible for his own iniquities. If a god, uh, if a if a here's dyslexia. If a dog bites someone today, we do not sue the dog, but we sue the owner. Well, we wouldn't, but <laughs> you get my point. All right. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. I still can't get my brain around that. I don't expect you to this morning. But we can trust God at his word. For Christ to give up being God, that's called heresy. For Christ not to be born in the flesh is also heresy. 
This is why the virgin birth is so significant. Jesus was man. He had a human mother. You give up the virgin birth, you give up the humanity of Jesus. It is really important that when you refer to Jesus, we refer to him as the God-man, not just God. Why? Because people will say, how, how does God get tired? John 4, verse 6, the woman at the well, and he was weary. How does he get hungry? Mark eleven twelve, 12. Or, or not knowing the hour of his return. Matthew 24, 26. Keen Muslims will argue this point with you. Jesus does not switch in his language, I or we. He is one, indivisible. This has always been believed by the church and is one of the defining characteristics of the true church. The Nicene Creed. As you can see from the Nicene Creed, creeds are important. They summarize biblical and theological doctrines. They came about in response to heresies that were raised in the church. And they made the church go back to Scripture and dig in to shape their views. Something that is a great teaching model for us as individuals. All based on the totality of Scripture. Therefore, to be part of the Catholic Church, universal, not Roman Catholic, you must believe Jesus is the God-man. So they are not God breathed. They do not record what uh, they do record what the church is believed. So it, I think Chris's point there is it's not scripture. It's uh, but they do record what the church believes. Um, the, Nicene. the Nicene Creed is broken up to speak about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says about the Son. We believe in one God and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. Next. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Amen. One more slide. The life of Christ. We've covered the significance of God-man needing to be God. We've covered the significance of the God-man needing to be man. What is the significance of the life of Christ? His perfect life is credited to your account. Do you see the contrast here in 2 Corinthians 5.21? He became a curse. Galatians 3.13 says, Cursed is everyone on a tree. He was a perfect sin offering. In exchange, we become the righteousness of God in him. Christ's righteous life is imputed, credited to us. Jesus is the true Israel who perf perfectly obeys, and now in him we have obeyed perfectly. 
Hebrews. Um, sorry, his perfect life allowed for him to pay our sins. Hebrews 2.17 gives us hope that Christ understands our weaknesses. And lastly, his perfect life means he understands our struggles and frailties. Both of these give hope in evangelism to the significance of Christ. When one turns to Christ, it's his righteousness we have, no matter how bad we are. We have a God through our life who helps and picks us up and helps us along the way. What a beautiful thing to offer someone. I'm going to pause there. We can finish this section next week. It's uh, 10.15, so will you join me in prayer as we conclude? Our gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you again, Father, for the leading in this uh, Sunday school class, uh, just your grace upon me. And uh, Father, I just pray that these truths will make sense to my brothers and sisters. Father, that again, we would be burdened even this day and this week to reach out on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make much of his name, to share his love, his sacrifice, his resurrection to new life with someone. And I pray, Lord, that we would be burdened all the days of our lives um, to obey you and be faithful to your leading. I thank you for this church. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And I thank you for this worship service that we're about to have, Father. Would you just move in this place, receive all the glory, honor, and praise. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.